Well, good morning, everyone. Good to pray with you. We're reading up until the beginning of Lent here, starting really soon, uh, from Mark's gospel, the gospel of Mark. It's a great gospel, the first gospel, the shortest gospel, definitely one of the top four. It's in top four, for sure. Mark is the shortest, the first written, and the way he writes is, is really powerful. He doesn't have time for a lot of the things that the other gospel writers spent their time on. There's no infancy narrative. There's no coming of the magi. There's no angels speaking to shepherds. We don't get any of the dialogue between angels and Mary or angels and Joseph. None of that. Jesus bursts onto the scene. And we're in the gospel that we just heard is still the first chapter of Mark. It's still chapter one. And it picks up at verse 29. So here's what happened in the first 28 verses of this gospel. So John the Baptist shows up, does his job. He baptizes Jesus, three verses Mark uses to describe that event. Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted, two verses Mark describes that event. And then Jesus shows up, the gospels that we've heard in the previous Sundays. He shows up preaching repentance and saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel, right? Then he calls his first disciples. Then he goes into the synagogue, last Sunday's gospel. He preaches with authority and the people are astonished. He casts demons out. And then we have this gospel today. So Jesus shows up at Capernaum and he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then the whole town gathers around the door of the house and he cures people, and he casts out demons, silencing them. All this activity, Jesus doing what he came to do. And in the midst of all that, this one very crucial verse might be overlooked. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went to a deserted place where he prayed. That's the most important verse of all. If you want to know who Jesus is, start there. If you want to know what Jesus does, pay attention to the other things that are going on. The preaching and the healing and the casting out of demons. Okay, that's all what Jesus does. But if you want to know who he is, start with that verse. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went to a deserted place where he prayed. You see that all that Jesus does flows from who he is. And who he is before all eternity is the Son. What is Jesus doing when he prays? He's living in that relationship that is his identity. Before he comes to the earth to do the work that only he can do to save us, to heal us, to bind the powers of darkness, to cast them out. Before he does any of those things, he is someone. From all eternity, Jesus is the Son, the beloved Son who receives all of who he is from the Father. That dynamic is so critically important. See, the Father is who he is. 
from all eternity, giving himself fully and freely and entirely to the Son who receives that gift of the Father's love and returns it with his own gift back to the Father. And that dynamic exchange of love between Father and Son is so powerful and so profound that it is the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. A love relationship. The Catechism says that the Trinity is the central mystery of the faith. Everything else flows from not just what the Trinity does, but who the Trinity is. So if we want to know who Jesus is, we go back to that place of identity. And Jesus lives in that place of identity precisely through prayer. The Romans have a great phrase in Latin. Adore seguitur esse. Action follows being. Being. Who Jesus is precedes what he does. And brothers and sisters, if that's true for Jesus, it's more true for us. We have to receive our being, and then we move, then we act. Action follows being. Being always has primacy. All of us here were loved by God before we ever did anything, and we're loved by God in spite of what we've done sometimes with our own sinfulness. All of us were loved first. We're given that gift of being. And brothers and sisters, there is only one place to truly encounter that depth of being, that depth of love that God bestows on us. And that is prayer. Prayer has to be the foundation of all that we are and all that we do because in prayer we receive who we are. So prayer, and I'm not just talking about banging out five Hail Marys or praying in our Father at the beginning of the day and at the end, although that's good, but there's more. There's so much more. And the danger for us as Catholics is that we can, quote, learn our prayers. And our prayers are nice and they're good. But we can just stay on the surface of what the real gift of prayer is. We know responses to things, we know formal prayers, but prayer is way more than those things. Prayer is a lived, dynamic relationship. And it's there for us, but we have to go deep into it. So the prayer I'm talking about is exactly what Jesus does in the gospel. It's withdrawing to a deserted place, or there's other translations, the translation we have in the breviary today, says Jesus withdrew to a place of solitude where he prayed to, re- to, to, re- to retreat away from all the busyness of the world, all the activities, all the things, good, bad, or ugly, to go and pull away, to withdraw to a place of solitude which isn't solitary, a place of personal encounter with the Lord. Because each of us here, we're loved in a personal way. God the Father doesn't love us generically. He loves each of us personally and knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So as we enter into prayer, then we know who we are because we know who God is. 
And in knowing God, we come to know ourselves. So a couple points about prayer. Prayer is simple. We can make it really, really complicated. And we read manuals and we read books and all this stuff, but prayer is simple. Prayer is simply putting ourselves in a position of receiving the gift that the Father already is bestowing upon us. It's just paying attention. It's taking the time, making the time, to let that gift be received. So, it is simple. We have the guide to teach us how to pray. St. Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with cries too deep for words. Brothers and sisters, if you've been baptized, then you have the Holy Spirit. If you've been confirmed, you've been sealed in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us how to pray. And you know what he does? The Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray because he teaches us who we are. Again, St. Paul, we did not receive a spirit of slavery through which we fall back into fear, but we received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, that is, Father. Except Abba doesn't mean Father. Abba means Daddy. The Holy Spirit, who we have, teaches us who we are. That each one of us is a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the Father. Who loves us perfectly. That we have been adopted into that family of God. And that's so critical because the effective prayer, once we take it serious, once we make the time for it, the effect of it is that it teaches us who we are. Identity is so critical. It's always been critical in the human race, but so much more critical now. To know who we are. That's what happens in prayer. The documents of the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, says, only in the mystery of the word made flesh is the mystery of man made clear. Only in prayer, only in coming to know Jesus can we know ourselves. God reveals himself to us, yes, so that we might know him, but also so that we might know ourselves. And that's what happens when we pray. We begin to learn who we really are. And if we know who we are, then we're not beholden to any other voice that tells us we need to do this in order to be valued. We need to hold this view in order to be trendy or important. We need to have these things in order to feel successful. All of that gets relegated so far to the periphery that it shouldn't bother us at all. Because in prayer, we know who we really are, received as a gift from the Father who loves us. And if we know who we are, then we know what we should do. And that's another thing that happens if we live vibrantly and intentionally the life of prayer. We'll know what is worthy of us and what is worthy of our time, what really matters and what makes no difference at all. And we need that discernment because our world has so many priorities reversed, inverted, backwards, or corrupted. And in prayer, we begin to know, this is what I should do. And this is what I shouldn't do. Why? Because I know who I am. And how do I know who I am? Because I know who God is, the God who made me. That's why it's so critically important. 
Prayer also helps us discern what is good and then what is better and then what is best. What is God asking me to do right now in my state of life? And he doesn't leave us alone in that project. We don't have to decide for ourselves. We don't have to make things up for ourselves. We don't have to create ourselves. But rather we live a beautiful, vibrant relationship of radical dependence on God who radically loves us and gives us everything we need to flourish in a beautiful way in this life and then be prepared for our true life and our home in heaven. The question is, brothers and sisters, do we want to make prayer important? And we'll all say, oh, we're really busy. And yeah, we're really busy. Okay, fine. Except, how busy are we? And do we just like being busy? Because then we don't have to face realities or go deeper into things. Do we just distract ourselves to skim along the surface of life? But look at the effect of that. So much anxiety, so much worry, so many questions, existential questions that are absolutely all answerable in prayer as we meet the Lord, as he shows us who God really is and he shows us who we really are in God. Will we make the time? Will we make the time? Not just take the time. Oh, I'm really busy. Okay, show me your phone. Show me the log on your computer. How much time is wasted? How much time is spent worrying about this thing or that thing? Oh, this thing I got to know all about. Oh, this thing I got to know all about. And we neglect the most important thing, which is living in a beautiful relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, it's all excuses, isn't it? Yeah, we're busy, but nobody's so busy they can't take the time and make the time to pray. And if you say that you are, then your priorities are wrong. But we don't need to have our priorities wrong. We just need to return in an intentional and beautiful way, a simple way, to the God who loves us. That's why we came here to Mass today, to pray. Let's make sure also, though, that each and every morning, each and every day, some time is spent in a personal encounter just you and God, just you and God, time made for him, time that he fills, you'll never be disappointed in that. You'll never regret that choice. So brothers and sisters, may we follow the example of Jesus. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I? May we follow his example to withdraw each and every day to meet our heavenly father who loves us, to let him love us, to let him show us who we are and what we ought to be about. That will happen for us if we pray.